This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. Aplos is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.aplos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. When was the last time you evaluated your leadership culture? Every organization has a culture, right? A DNA that is unique to that organization. Well, typically, most experts say that a CEO or executive director of a nonprofit has a disproportionate impact on the culture of their organization. Well, my guest on this episode will be talking about some of the key traits of effective leaders and how their leadership can either enhance or stifle their organization's health and growth. John Lear is my guest on the show. John leads the Parkinson's Foundation as president and CEO with more than two decades of nonprofit fundraising and management experience and a strong focus in the voluntary healthcare and medical research sectors. Enjoy today's show. Well, John, thanks for being on the show today. This podcast is dedicated to leadership, and I know that you have a lot of experience in leadership. So I wanted to start out by asking you about conformity and leadership cultures. In fact, you argue that conformity can lead to business failure because it often stifles innovation and change. So talk more about that. Why is conformity such an obstacle to healthy and growing nonprofits? First of all, thank you for having me on your call. Um, you know, what I, what I would say is I make a distinction between conformity and unity. Um, I think, you know, any, any organization that is doing, uh, the, doing right, um, asks lots of questions about, um, you know, what's our goal? How do we reach our goal? How do we measure our goal? And I think there should be a lot of good debate and discussion, um, during those times, um, you know, where you get the best ideas on the table, you look at everything, the pros, the cons, um, and you really, you really work, work at, you know, getting the best solution for whatever, uh, whatever initiative you're trying to put forward. Um, so, you know, and, um, you know, what I always say is, you know, I will throw out a, a lot of sort of brainstorm ideas and I will say to my team, look, I'm just throwing this out. It's just a brainstorm idea. Have at it. You know, disagree. Tell me why you don't think it, it's a good idea or why you do think it's a good idea. Um, so I really try to foster, and we really at our foundation try to foster this, this atmosphere of openness. Um, you know, it's like in brainstorming, there's no bad idea. I really firmly believe that. I mean, you may not use everything you, you, uh, you talk about in a brainstorming session, but you certainly want to have everybody bringing their perspectives so that you get the best solution or best end product possible. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I very much want people to, to not be yes, yes people, but to actually challenge and, you know, in, a, in an open and positive way, but to challenge ideas and say, you know, I'm not sure that's the, the right way to look at it or I have a different way of looking at it. 
And then I, I contrast that with uh, Unity because I think ultimately when you when you've had the chance to really look at a thing and think about it in many different ways, and then when you ultimately come to a decision and you're going to move forward with it, uh, then you really want people to, you know, unify around the idea. That's not to say that it will be the idea forever, uh, but you build in periods of time afterwards to come back for evaluation and adjustment. Um, so, you know, I really like that open process where people feel free and comfortable to share ideas, to, you know, to challenge the status quo. Um, and, uh, you know, again, you, you'll get to a point where you have to start moving forward. Um, it's never the end. You're always evolving. But that's, that's essentially what I mean about, you know, don't have a conformance uh, culture because you're not going to get the best out of your team. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, when it comes to effective leadership, as we continue in that topic, you've said that there is a, quote, perfect formula for a nonprofit leader. Now, my guess is you don't really mean formula in what we normally think of formula. Uh, but talk about that. What do you mean by that? And how does a good leader balance things like skepticism, realism, and optimism? Yeah, you know, again, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I may have used the word perfect. So I, it's a word I'm, I'm usually reluctant to use because um, you know, I, I, I believe in striving for excellence, not in striving for perfection, because I think perfection is not attainable. But I think in striving for excellence, you you get better and better and better. Um, my own experience through life has been, you know, there's no one size fits all for uh, an executive. Um, I think, you know, the, the, you know, like like we all are, there's lots of complexity. Um, in our personalities and our backgrounds and our ideas, the way we approach problems and solutions. Um, what I would say is that I think the most effective leaders are the ones that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sort of a meat and potatoes guy in some ways. You know, it's, it's basic blocking and tackling, showing up every day, uh, pushing the ball forward, you know, and, um, I know those are a series of cliches, but I think the people who are ultimately the most successful are people who, um, stick with it, perseverance, keep working. Of course, you have to be flexible. You have to be, uh, you have to be willing to adjust, um, when new circumstances arise. But in my mind, leadership really is all about, you know, working the plan, making sure that you're sticking to it. You know, one of my, uh, one of my idols is, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who when he, you know, was leading, uh, you know, the U.S. Army in, in World War II was, you know, is attributed, a quote is attributed to him saying, planning is essential, but plans are useless, which means, you know, you have to think about everything. You have to think everything. But like when you get really into the practical, the everyday, the real time, you have to be willing to make adjustments. And that's, that's my approach. And I, I think it's, it's worked well. I think in other situations where I've, I've worked before where I haven't been the CEO, I've, I've seen that approach. Uh, and, and I think it, it just seems to me like a very effective approach. No, I really like that. And uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And, you know, I really enjoy when I hear people talk about leadership. Typically, you've been shaped by a leader. You've had people in your past or just people you look up to. You already mentioned Eisenhower. Um, so that was one of my next questions was, as you think about your life and particularly your life as a leader, which leaders have impacted you the most and why? Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I'll, I'll, I will start with my, my own grandfather, who was the CEO of a, a large company and uh, many years, you know, number of decades ago. Uh, and, you know, just in, in terms of how he interacted with his colleagues from the, you know, across the entire organization, he had sort of an every, every man quality about him. You know, he sort of grew up under 
uh, sort of difficult, uh, circumstances and kind of rose up and, and, uh, and he never forgot where he came from, right? And so he treated everybody the same. He treated everybody fairly. He knew everybody who worked at the company had a role to play. Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of, uh, understanding that, uh, everybody has a role and, uh, you know, ultimately no one is, is, uh, you know, I mean, certainly there are skill sets that people have that, you know, place them in certain positions, but, you know, to, to make sure that you have a whole team, um, uh, and, and that was, that was always really, uh, an impressive thing for me. And then, you know, in my, in my professional life, um, I would say that um, the, the, the former president and CEO of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, um, Dr. Bob Bell, uh, is probably the person I, I look to. Um, Bob uh, was a, you know, just eternally optimistic, um, realistic, uh, and persistent uh, leader. Um, he, he came into a, a disease, cystic fibrosis, that was at that time an ultimately fatal disease for uh, the vast majority of people who were affected by it. And uh, he came up with a, a plan, you know, let's find the gene uh, for cystic fibrosis. Once we find the gene, we'll be able to develop, uh, to understand the, the basic science better. Once we understand the basic science, we're going to be able to develop uh, medications and therapies. Um, I, I say those three those three phases because over a three-decade period as the leader of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Bob just kept his, his, you know, shoulder to the plow. So they did find the gene and then they did understand the basic science and then they were ultimately able to develop, um, therapies. And, you know, after the first phase, Bob could have retired and, and, and gone off into the sunset as a hero, but he stayed at it. He saw another vision, which was, let's really understand this disease. And then, uh, and then even, even broader vision, which was, can we develop therapies that help people with cystic fibrosis? live longer and fuller lives. And ultimately, he was successful in all three phases. It was his optimism, his realism, his ability to uh, to adjust when needed, uh, his ability to rely on, on great colleagues across the organization, uh, both internally and externally. And, uh, you know, he, he really, you know, he's an unsung hero because he, he not only paved the way for cystic fibrosis, but he developed a model that is replicated by many disease-specific organizations, including Parkinson's Foundation, um, for how you go about uh, attacking a, a difficult and challenging disease like we are at Parkinson's. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. Aplos is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.aplos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to make sure you knew about how to get some more great content. When you go to our website, just look at the top right section of the homepage under the words subscribe. 
you can simply type in your email address and then you will be added to our monthly email update. In addition to getting great access to some superb content, you'll get the latest podcast shows right to your inbox. Now, this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or content on this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email us. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Now, one of the key topics we've talked about quite a bit over the last several months with several of my guests is the whole topic about fundraising, specifically in the context of this COVID pandemic we're living in. And so first question would be, which organizations would you say are successfully navigating the fundraising landscape in this very difficult era that we're living in? And what is setting them apart? Well, you know, I, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been in touch with a number of my colleagues at other disease-specific organizations. Um, I, you know, I think in the nonprofit sector, um, disease-specific organizations are probably faring a little better um, than maybe arts organizations or social service organizations because um, the diseases that affect families are ones that they're highly motivated to try and find solutions and cures for. Uh, unfortunately, in the arts and in social services, um, you know, the, as, as COVID hit and, you know, resources got tight, um, a lot of those organizations were affected deeply. And I'm hopeful that as we emerge from COVID and the economy returns, um, that, you know, those organizations will see their fundraising um, fortunes, uh, you know, uh, return. Um, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm one organization is the Lupus, Lupus Research Alliance. You know, I've been in touch with their their leadership, and they, you know, they like us have done a nice job. I think in part because they have a diversified revenue portfolio. Um, that's a real key for us. I mean, we raise money from um, ten different categories, and even there are some subcategories in that. So it's kind of like with your with an equities portfolio, you want to have. Uh, a, you know, you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket, and so you don't want to fundraise from only one source. So we do individual fundraising, we do corporate fundraising, foundation fundraising. So this this broad portfolio of fundraising has has served us well. I think it has served a number of other organizations in the disease specific nonprofit area um, because you know if if you're only relying on major donors or you're only relying on your golf events. Um, or, or gala events, which, you know, are in, indoors and where you're pe- bringing people in and packing them in tightly, um, you're going to have a tough time. And so we were fortunate because of, of the many different revenue streams and some of them lend themselves, uh, well to a, a period like COVID. What, what's really kind of interesting, Rob, is that, um, we, we are very much involved in, in direct response, you know, what used to be known as direct mail. So we mail a lot of materials to individuals. That is one of our outperforming uh, revenue streams. It's doing even better this year uh, than in prior year, and the prior year was our, our best best year ever. Um, we believe that the reason for that is not only our good messaging and the urgency of our mission, but also because people are home and are opening the mail in ways that they hadn't been doing <laughs> Uh, until COVID occurred. Uh, so it's one of those sort of strange things. You know, we see a lot of adjustments in the economy due to COVID. I think in our case, one of the things that we can point to is, um, you know, people are home. So they're, they're tuning in a little bit more. They're listening a little longer and, uh, they're also collecting their mail and reading it. I find that really interesting. And, uh, well, let me just continue on that same kind of context. 
Do you think that most nonprofits need to change how they're doing their fundraising because of COVID and some of the things that people may have gotten used to or because of COVID because now people won't go ever back to the old normal. It's a new normal now. So if people and nonprofits specifically should change, in what ways should they change? Or do you think we can just keep moving the way we have with fundraising over the last 10 years? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, one of the things when I first started working in fundraising uh, and in nonprofits, um, one of the things I learned quickly is that the, the nonprofit world and the fundraising world changes a lot, right? So once upon a time, there were lots of telethons and radiothons, you know, and, uh, you know, again, at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, that was their bread and butter for many, many, many decades. And then that started to run its course. And then, um, and, and like other organizations, they started doing walks and, and runs and marathons, but walks in particular. And, um, you know, walk, walks are a great way to, to, you know, bring out people who support your community. They're a great way to do fundraising. They're a great way to bring people together. Um, you know, so walks and, and any outdoor activities you would think would have been able to sort of make it through maybe in COVID, but as it turns out, uh, that wasn't possible. So a lot of people had to turn to virtual walks, uh, during COVID. Um, we tried one method in the, in the spring, uh, as a quick response, which was to have one day where we did all of our walks virtually. Uh, this fall, we decided to ho- hold the, the walks on different days in, in, across the country. That turned out to be a, a much better solution. So we were learning, uh, that way. I think the question is, will walks come back when, uh, you know, like they were before? Uh, COVID in a way, you know, that where they were raising money. I mean, you know, my, my point on that is, my thought on that is walks were starting to even trouble down, uh, prior to COVID. Um, some organizations were seeing, you know, uh, a leveling off of the growth on their walks. We are still in a growth mode at our foundation. So we think we're going to continue and that'll be a good source of revenue. But I will tell you that, you know, special events, which for us have always been you know, more of a secondary or even tertiary way of fundraising. I think um, because of COVID, people are probably going to be reluctant to to get together in giant rooms indoors, you know, for some time. Now, that's my own thought. It's possible that that'll change and people will be motivated after after being, you know, cloistered for such a long time to be able to get out and interact and mingle with people. So it'll be interesting to see, but... One thing I know from my long career in fundraising is it is not static. It changes all the time, and yet you have to watch these trends carefully. Well, you know, so quickly, it sounds like from what you're sharing is that you have been fine. In other words, like during this COVID pandemic, uh, your organization has continued to raise money. Uh, would you say your donor involvement, engagement, and donor overall, like donor numbers, have they gone up during COVID or are they stayed the same or have they gone down? So, you know, we, uh, so uh, when, when COVID hit, so we're on a, what's known as an academic fiscal year, which means our, our, our fiscal year begins on July, uh, one. So COVID hit in March, uh, and we really were affected immediately by it. Um, and, um, but in March, we were about, you know, two thirds through the, to, through our fiscal year, and we were having our best year ever. We saw a drop in, um, in March. And then April was Parkinson's Awareness Month, so we started to see a little bit of a return. Um, and uh, and then we ended up the year really quite well. I was fully expectant that um, our numbers would would drop, uh, particularly during the summer months and into the fall. Um, and it turns out that hasn't happened. We um, we built an austerity budget of you know 20% less on 
on spend uh, with the expectation that we would have 20% less on revenue. Um, as it turns out, we're, we're running um, uh, ahead of where we were even last year, which was a record-breaking year for us. Now, there are some outlier explanations for that. We've got one very, very large gift, which certainly helps. Um, but even adjusting for that one gift, we are doing far better than we expected to be. Um, and uh, we're, we're actually still even doing better than we did last year at this time. My thinking on that is, is a point I was sort of making earlier, which is, you know, the people who are affected by Parkinson's, um, you know, have an urgency about them, understandably. And so they believe that the work of the foundation on our, across our, our, our different mission pillars uh, is critical, and uh, they continue to support us. Um, we've seen, um, you know, we're, so we've, we've held relatively steadily um, in terms of people who are giving to us, uh, the amount they're giving to us. They're sort of giving to us in different ways, so they may be giving to us more uh, directly rather than through a walk or an event, um, but it's, it's holding steady. So uh, it's been an interesting, unexpected uh, consequence of, of COVID for us. No, it's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it was just interesting. It's again, I've talked to many different uh, guests who are uh, leading nonprofit organizations or foundations like yourself, and it's been interesting. I'd say more people than I thought are doing okay during COVID. I mean, obviously they've adjusted, uh, but they're still getting donor engagement. They're still receiving, you know, financial support. Uh, and certainly among the humanitarian organizations that have food pantries and otherwise, they're actually getting more money than they've had in previous years, which is really interesting. It's kind of the the opposite of what you initially think uh, during a pandemic like we're going through. But I'm glad you're doing well. It sounds like you're navigating well through the the choppy waters we're living in. Well, you've talked a bit about the fact that there's a difference between one's nonprofit cause and one's nonprofit business. Uh, explain what you mean by that, the difference between the cause and the business side of the nonprofit, and how does it apply to today's current challenges facing nonprofit organizations? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, um, you asked me about um, people who influenced me in my life earlier. Um, many years ago, I worked at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is um, arguably one of the best children's hospitals in the world. Um, and it's just an, it's an amazing institution doing amazing things on behalf of, of children with all sorts of different diseases. Um, when I was uh, earlier in my career, there was a very charismatic CEO, and I remember him saying very distinctly, you really can't do a lot of, you can't do the good that you want to do if you don't have the resources to do it. He said it a little bit more colorfully than that. But um, the point was, you have to have, you have to have the resources. You have to have the business side of the equation uh, functioning well. If you don't have that, you're not going to be able to deliver on your mission. Um, and, you know, in, in some nonprofits, um, you know, there's, there's this belief that, you know, there's two sides of the house. There's the mission side and then there's the business side. Um, I'm of the belief that, you know, if you have strong pro programs uh, that are effective, they're going to raise money. And then if you raise money, you're going to be in, able to invest in strong programs. So it's a, it's a real equilibrium, a real balance. Um, our program people are very much involved in fundraising. Our chief scientific officer, uh, you know, I don't think he ever would have thought of himself as being a fundraiser, but he's really good at it because he just goes out and talks about the things we invest in in terms of research, and it resonates with people, and they turn around and they support us financially. Um, but, you know, the, 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 there's, the cause side is making sure that you're doing things that benefit your community, 
but you have to have sound business principles behind it. And, you know, I used to work in consulting and I saw too often where people would have a great idea, a great cause, a great mission, but they didn't focus enough on the revenue generation and uh, the, the business side of the, of, of the organization. Kind of related to that, you know, I think this may be an obvious question on one end, uh, the idea of understanding a community's needs. But I want to pitch this question in this way. Why is understanding your community's needs and constantly adjusting to them as the needs of the community changes so critical to effective nonprofit leadership? And then secondly, kind of tied into that is how do you constantly adjust to the community's needs uh, so that your nonprofit continues to be effective year after year? Could you speak to that? Yeah, that's. I mean, that. Thank you for that question. I I just think it's it's core of mission driven organizations. Um, you know, I I I had an experience once where um, the uh, I, I, at an organization. You know, I did a lot of consulting, so I got to know a lot of businesses. One one business I was familiar with. I won't I won't name it. Um, and all, everybody that worked there was well intentioned, but the board thought that what the community wanted needed. Uh, was research um, and into you know cures for a disease that probably um, you know just just a lot of spend on research um, and we did and and they did a, a a quick survey of the community and they found well it wasn't that they were looking for cures people thought they could manage the disease fairly well what they wanted was education and materials and how to how to manage the trickier sides of the disease you know and and so this, there was this, this disconnect between what the board thought was in the best interest of the community and what the community thought was in the best interest of the community. Um, and I think actually part of that friction uh, led to, you know, a misalignment of, on, on fundraising. You know, um, you know, when you're going out and telling people or asking people to support this program or this project and it's not really what they're interested in, you're, you're going to get less of a positive result. But if you're listening to your community, you're hearing what they're saying, then you really are tailoring programs to meet their specific needs. Um, and that, that's not to say that, you know, from time to time, uh, an organization shouldn't take a risk or, or you know, think of a, a new avenue or path, um, you know, always mindful of what the community wants, you know, but, you know, there's, there's always room for risk and for experimentation and growth. Um, but if you're not listening to your community, you're not bringing them along and you're not really serving them. And, you know, the best way to do that is just listen. Um, you know, and, you know, often people um, will just make assumptions about, you know, oh, I think this is important. I think that's important. Um, at Parkinson's Foundation, we have a whole program called PD Surveys, um, where we go out to our community every month. Uh, and ask them, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that issue? You know, what's your concern about here? Um, you know, obviously during COVID, we, we put out a survey just saying, tell us how you're coping. Tell us how you're living with, uh, with the disease. And that feedback from our community allows us to then say, well, wow, we're seeing a lot of social isolation. We're seeing people not being able to get out. How about we create a program called PD Health at Home so that we can provide nearly daily programming on mindfulness, exercise, and just living well with the disease. Um, listening to your community will allow you to serve them better, and then there's all sorts of dividends to play. First first and foremost, your your community is just doing better. Um, and second of all, you're you're aligned with community and then you can grow together uh, because you're 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 going in lockstep with each other. 
Now, that's really helpful. And I think that, uh, again, for my listeners, uh, I like what you said. It's this idea that with, there's a misalignment sometimes between what the community is saying, these are the needs, and then what a board and or an organization is saying, no, these are the needs. And I like how you navigate through that. I think that's definitely something, again, with guests I've had on the show, my own personal experience, that can be a total disconnect. And if you don't really merge those together and really listen to the community, you can really get off very quickly. And all of a sudden, you're not very effective at all. And then donors eventually will pick up on that and they'll stop donating to your organization, realizing that you're not really staying attuned to the needs of the community. So well done. Um, again, my guest has been John Lear. He is the president and CEO of the Parkinson Foundation. John, if people are listening and they want to get to know a little bit more about you, find out more about the foundation, where would you send them? Well, they can do two things. One, they can go to our website, which is www.parkinson.org. There's no apostrophe or an S. It's just parkinson.org. Or they can call our helpline, 1-800-4-P-D-INFO. That's 800 for the, the number four, and then P as in Paul, D as in David, INFO, I-N-F-O. That's excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks for all you're sharing with us today. I, it's really fun to hear your perspective on things. And congratulations. Sounds like you're doing really well, even during a pandemic. So thanks for taking time to be on the show today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for uh, the great questions and uh, the great dialogue. We're excited to have Aplos as the sponsor of this nonprofit podcast. And what's unique about Aplos is that they are dedicated not only to providing you with the best tools, but also to offering free training from their in-house experts and CPAs. Right now, you can get access to a solid webinar on five essential financial reports for nonprofit leaders. To get access, go to nonprofit.aplos.com. Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.